Good to see you all here. So glad you're here. Uh, we're uh, going to continue the lesson from last week, which is in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're going to focus this week on Jesus warning Peter that Peter would deny him. Uh, and there are tremendous lessons for us in, this, in these few verses in the Gospel of John. So let's read John 13. Uh, beginning with, let's start with verse 36 this time. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So if you have the outline, I'm, I'm going to pick up really right about uh, from the point of number six. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, look, you've been with me for three years. Uh, I have a high regard for you, but in your humanity... You are going to fail me. You are going to deny me three times. Now, Peter was one of the most courageous of men you could find. He walked with Jesus for three years. He carried a sword. He would use that sword on the night that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would uh, cut off the ear of the helper of the high priest. Uh, Jesus would perform a miracle that night, actually put the ear back in place. Uh, but, but he was a, a man of action. Uh, and a courageous man. And yet what we're going to see here is God is going to say to us that in your humanity, even though you may think you're courageous, unless you are within the vine of Jesus, relying on the presence of Jesus, relying on him, without Jesus, you are nothing. Our flesh will fail you. And so that's the essence of what I, I propose to teach to you today um, in this series of verses. Um, and so... As we see this, the first step, obviously, in communicating with Jesus is, is developing fruit. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Look at John 15, verse 5, just very quickly. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so that's the first part of this lesson. If you think that you can do your own thing, that you can go your own way and connect into Jesus from time to time whenever you feel a need, you're sadly mistaken. You have to continually remain in the vine. Now, remaining in the vine means this. It means being with the Lord, abiding with the Lord, studying the word, praying continually. And I've told you this, that praying continually, it doesn't mean that you have to go in your closet or you have to get a prayer rug and have to be on your knees for hours a day. I personally can't pray like that. But for me, I will pray 100 times a day 
as I walk, as I drive, as I will have continual conversations with God. And I think that's probably more relevant to the way our, our lives are now, that we're so busy that instead, in those times, in those intervening times, that's the time when we need to say to God, Lord, I love you. I want to be your person. I want to submit to you. Open my eyes. Guide me. That is being in the vine. That's what it means, being in the vine. And when you do that, as Jesus says here, you will bear fruitfulness. And being a disciple, bearing fruitfulness means this. Suddenly, in your life, you will not be a poster for anger. You know what I mean. Somebody crosses your path. Somebody does something a little bit mean. The old you would go, oh, I hate you. I'm going to remember you. I'll enact some kind of revenge on you. You know that. I mean, that's what we did in New Jersey, I'm sure down here. <laughs> they don't act like that. It's a whole higher level of civilization. But up the Northeast, this is exactly how people would act. And you know, you've heard the old statement, well, uh, I've forgiven you, but I haven't forgotten. <laughs> you've heard that phrase, which basically means I haven't forgiven you, right? If you say, I haven't forgotten, then you haven't forgiven. As simple as that. And so this is the fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about. How being in the vine, you can't help but being fruitful when you're in the vine with Jesus. Then you are putting your life there. And so the old you is different than the new you. And it's a walk. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens over a period of years as God begins to sand you down. And so this is important to understand this. Uh, and so remaining in the Lord Jesus is also a, a, a significant aspect of this. You don't just come to Jesus, you remain with him. You walk with him every day. And after a while, your life will bear the glory of Jesus. People will see Jesus in you. Maybe they don't see it every day, but they will see it from time to time. And the point is, is that God wants to have that glory reflected every single day. And so now we come to a critical point in this lesson. Jesus warns Peter, you will deny me. Oh, I will give my life up for you. You will deny me. And it will happen quickly uh, before the rooster crows three times. You will deny me. And, and so we're going to see what that means and, and what God is trying to do here as he looks at Peter. Um, and so the first lesson to learn here for us is this, that in our flesh, as we walk in this world, every one of us is sub, sub, uh, suspect to failure. We will fall from God. We will commit sins. Even as, even as we may walk with Jesus as Peter did for three years, 24 hours a day, seeing all the miracles, even though he did that, still he denied Jesus. Now, if you're looking for a really significant sin, frankly, I'm not sure there's anything greater than denying God. I mean, that's a big one. You want to put the food chain out, the list of which sins are greater? Well, how is that? I'm denying Jesus. I mean, it would be as if you were at your country club all right, or in your neighborhood, and somebody says, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of those Christians? You're one of those born-again Christians. I know you are. You're always in church. And you go, oh, no, no, no. 
No, 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 I'm not like that. Oh, you know, right away. Oh, no, 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 I'm not like that. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. Why? Because we're worried about the opinion of men and women. Who cares about what men and women think about us? But we do. We do, and it impacts our spiritual walk. It does. And so you see here that, that Peter will deny Jesus. Uh, and, and we're going to study that and what it means. And so the point of this lesson is this. Every one of us is subject to failure. Now, here's the deal. God does not condemn you for that failure. God loves you. He understands the weakness of the flesh. And so he warns you, don't fall. He warns you, pray, be vigilant. He warns you, be in the vine. Yet he knows that in your weakened human condition, you will still most likely fall. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand under it. Let me make a couple of points. God does not tempt you. All right, let's get this straight. God does not tempt you. The temptations come from Satan. The temptations come from evil. God is not evil. However, God may allow from time to time the protective hedge around you to be opened up somewhat because God believes that through some temptations or trials, you will be strengthened, you will grow, you will become a more a powerful Christian, as you recognize his hand in your life, God will allow that to happen. But no temptation, this is key, no temptation you will go through will be greater than what anybody else in the world suffers. Can I get an amen on that? Let's understand that. That means this. I know, you know, you've given your heart to God. Don't go saying, well, because I've given my heart, heart to God, I'm now going to have greater persecution and greater suffering. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But God, God may allow things into your life. Or sometimes evil just perpetuates itself in this world. Evil comes into to, uh, our lives. All right? Irrespective. And when that happens, you live in an evil world. So how can you expect to be in a world that's evil and not have some of it come against you? You understand that, that that's the way it works. And so here you see God is promising us that he will protect us. He will be with you. He will strengthen you. Uh, and, and he will provide for you a way out of these temptations. He will provide a way out. And so we need, we need to look at those words of reassurance as we see now how Peter will fall and, and what we can learn from it. One of the first lessons we learn uh, is that none of us is beyond falling to temptation. Uh, and so we need to be continually on guard. All right? We're going to look at two examples in this teaching. The one example is Peter, Peter, with Jesus 24 hours a day, 
for three solid years, walking with him, seeing all the miracles, and Peter is warned by Jesus, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You're going to deny me, but I'm praying that Satan will not have his way with you. Oh, oh, no, not me. Will never happen to me. All right? So he's warned, and he will fall. Another example of someone in Scripture who was not warned, but was in a position where he should have known better because he had been used by God, is David. David, the greatest king of Israel. David, prophet. David, warrior. David, the man after God's heart. Uh, And David, who would effectively be within the lineage of Jesus Christ, being honored by God because of all of his great attributes. And yet, David would fall in a mighty, horrible way. At the age of 50, and make note of this, at the age of 50, David would fall for the most perverse kind of sexual sin. Now, why I make note of that for you is this. He was 50 in an age when 50 was old. All right? Today, 70 is like the new 50, right? I know a bunch of you are going, yeah, he's right. He's right. He's definitely right. I know that. 70 is like the new 50. I'm looking at a bunch of 50-year-olds out here. All right? But it wasn't so in David's time. You were 50 years old. You were old, all right? Your life expectancy wasn't much beyond that. And so here you have a man, 50 years old, the king, the top pillar of that community, a prophet used by God. He would prophesy about the coming of Jesus Christ in in, in many ways. God used him in a, a magnificent way. And you see how he would fall to temptation. And one of the things that you'll learn about this, and you're going to see it in Peter, is the first thing is, that you see is overconfidence. Overconfidence. Yes, I have, I'm exalted. I have a high position. I'm close to God. Certainly nothing is going to befall me. I'm elevated in my spiritual standing. And so what do you see here with David? You see when you look at the life of David that one of the first things he did was he separated himself from his men. They were fighting the enemies of God. But he decided he didn't have to go and fight the enemies of God. He didn't have to be there with his men. He could send them out ahead, and he could stay home and stay in the palace. And so he separates himself, the lone wolf syndrome. Be very wary when you start to separate yourself from the people of God. All right? This is not a good path to to go on. God expects us to pray for each other, to lift each other up, to warn each other in love, in love. And so here you see he separates himself, he sends his men on ahead, he stays at the palace. The second thing that happens is that David decides he likes to go for walks up on the roof of the palace every day. Why? Because he liked the views that you got from the palace roof, okay? Now, you're not going to hear this in church. You're only going to hear that here. He liked the views from the roof. What was he looking at? The mountains? The valleys? The water? No, he wasn't looking at any of that. He was looking at a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who would daily take a shower, take a bath. And he would go up there 
at 4 o'clock because that's when she would bathe. Now, you see, if you were with the people of God, instead of being up there on the roof of the palace, okay, somebody would have warned you. You would have been protected. People would have been praying. But instead, no, you're up there on your own. You don't have to be with the other people. You're up there because you're being on temptation. You're the king. God has used you. You've killed a lion, a bear. You've killed Goliath. Are you kidding me? I can go up on the roof. I'm immune to this. No, you are not. None of us are. And so that's the, that's the lesson here. None of us are immune to temptation. And you see what happens. And when he falls, it's one sin on top of another escalating. And so the sin becomes far more than just mere adultery, as bad as adultery is. It becomes murder. Murder. And so you see the wreckage and the carnage of his life, such that, as Hayes said today, rightfully so, that baby that was the result of that union will be taken by God. And David would cry. He would beg God not to do it. But God is holy. God is holy. And so there are punishments. There's judgments in our life. And so you see this, that, that here's David falling into temptation. And so it's important for us to understand this. Now, Peter knew full well, Peter knew full well that Jesus was most likely going to be killed. He knew that Thomas had said earlier, let us go up to Jerusalem together so that we can all die with him. Yeah, let's do it. I'm with you. It sounds good. Uh, and so, but Jesus had warned him of the coming temptation. Um, and so, as you see, David is not prepared, and he falls. Peter is prepared, yet he also will fall. And so what does it mean? It means that temptations will come to all of us, the people of God, in any time, to all of us, in all kinds of form. Any of us, any of us, and all of us are subject to sin. And God is telling us to be on guard. Now, the second lesson in understanding the fall of Peter um, is, is, of course, the first step was, was overconfidence. All right? Overconfidence. This could never happen to me. You know God. You know Jesus. I love you. I would follow you to the end. I'd die for you, Jesus. Really? Really? How about, would you not deny me in the crowd? Well, I'll die for you, Jesus. That's right. Not only will you not die for me, but you will deny me. And I'm not picking on Peter. I love this guy. He is like the poster child of us. This is a guy who, who despite the fact that he had all the best intentions of the world, that he intended, he loved Jesus, that he still would fall and fall in a big way. And it was his overconfidence in himself that ultimately led him into failure. Um, and so when you see, that's a danger for us. Do not be overconfident in your own spiritual standing to think that you are not going to be subject to failure. This is an important lesson to understand. He failed at what he perceived to be his strongest point. Oh, I will stand up for you, Jesus. I will not back down. He was no coward. He was a courageous man. He was truly, in his mind, ready to die for Jesus. And if you go forward in his life after this date, years later, he would die for Jesus. He would give himself up. He would be crucified for Jesus. But 
in that act of crucifixion, he would say that he was not worthy to die as Jesus died on the cross, that instead he would insist that his head would be down in the crucifixion. Can you imagine that? So you see the impact of, of submission in his life. And so what, what this means is that we have to understand that with spiritual things, this is the lesson, when we are weak, then we are strong. When we are weak and put that weakness before the altar of God, and you say, God, help me. Father, help me. Take these thoughts away from me. Take these inclinations away from me, Lord. I want to serve you. I don't want to fall. I want to be what you want me to be. You ask God for that. You ask God for that. You pray for that. And as you do that, it is in your conscious weakness as a Christian that God will strengthen you. Uh, and I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Take, read a couple verses before that. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, and this is what Paul's saying, that Jesus had, he had this vision of Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can you imagine saying that? The very essence of persecution and suffering and hardship to us is the essence of strength in Christ. The very aspect of the weakness of our body and humanity as we get weaker, when we give it to God, God will strengthen you. This important lesson. You're not relying on yourself. You're not saying, I have great strength of character. I am a very strong person. I do not fall. You're not saying that. Instead, you're saying, I'm a weak person. I have flesh. This flesh is weak. I'm subject to temptation. Lord, I lay it before you. And therefore, as the persecutions and the sufferings and the hardships come into you, the very essence of those aspects of life lift you up because you recognize that God is sustaining you. It's a paradigm of unbelievable dimension that the very negative aspects of this world will wind up strengthening you and lifting you because you have given into your weakness and laid it on the altar of Jesus Christ. When I read these verses, I, it, it's just an amazing thing for me to see. So in order for us to conquer temptation, we have to begin with the knowledge that unless Jesus Christ holds on to us, we'll fail. In order for us to conquer temptation, unless we are within the vine of the Lord, sustaining ourselves within the vine of the Lord, continually having a prayer life, continually having a, a communion life, continually reading and studying and being with the other faithful, that that very act will ultimately be part of sustaining us. Christ holds us. He will not let you fall. And if you do fall, as we're going to read here with Peter, he will lift you back up. You will not dwell and continue in ongoing sin. 
That will not happen. Yes, you may fall, but you're going to be convicted. Now, another part of, the, of Peter's failure here was that he did not pray. This is key. This is important. Because what happens when you're overconfident is you don't really have that need to pray the way you do when you're weak. You know that. When you're going through trials, you know how we are when we go through trials. Oh, God, help me, Lord. I can't do this. I need mercy. You know that. And we'll be praying 24 hours a day. Every waking moment you're praying. You know that when you're going through difficulties. But hey, but when times are good, you're, you know, the good times are rolling. You're in overconfident. Oh, yeah, I don't necessarily have to speak to you all the time, God. You know my heart. That's the great one I always hear. You know my heart. Sure, I may slip up a little bit. You know my heart. You know, God, I'm just a weak guy. I'm a weak person. Instead of saying, Lord, Lord, I need you. I need you. Help me. Protect me. Put a hedge around me. And so Peter did not pray from this point forward. Now, again, I'm not criticizing Peter uh, and, and mocking him, but instead I'm saying I'm using him as a paradigm to us. And so Jesus asked the disciples to pray. Turn to Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 40. Verse 39 we'll start with. Now this is right after being in the upper room. This is shortly before Jesus is going to be arrested. He is on the Mount of Olives, and so... This is the first time uh, Jesus is going to ask the disciples to pray. Verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. There it is. Pray that you will not fall into temptations. He didn't say, pray for me that I don't get arrested, I'm not, that I don't get crucified. He knew what was coming. He didn't ask them to pray for that. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Why would Jesus say that? Jesus said that because he knew he was going to be taken away from them. He knew he was their strength, that he was their guide. He was with them all the time. And shortly, he would not be there for them. And so now he's saying to them, pray, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now, if God of the God of the universe says to his disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. How much more for us is that a proper prayer? Really. Uh, and you read, when you understand that, you begin to understand the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation. God doesn't lead you into temptation. You have to understand the proper interpretation for that. But it means, Lord, keep me from stumbling in my own stupidity into acts of evil and temptation. That's what it means. And so that's why God is saying to Peter and to the disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now here's the thing. And get this scene. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. All right? Now Jesus separates himself away from them and he, begin, he goes back and he's praying again. All right? He goes back and praying away again. He returns a second time. Take a look at Matthew 26. And you've got to love the disciples. 
I love reading this because you know what? It makes me feel better about myself and about my own weaknesses. You understand? Really. When you read, when you read the disciples and you say, these, these guys spent three years, 24 hours a day, and yet you see how even then they failed. You understand how God loves us? How God loves us. All right? He doesn't call them a bunch of losers. These are gonna, this is going to be the foundational principles of the, of the Christian church. These are guys who God is going to use in a mighty way. Look at Matthew 26. Look at verse 40. This is the second time now. He's already gone once and said pray. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Nice. How do you like that? You think, you think that was hard on Jesus? I'm about to die? I'm about to be arrested? You guys love me and I just ask you to pray and I come back and you're having a good snooze? I mean, you understand the human condition, the weakness of humanity? You know, I mean, this is a, it's a big deal. And so you see it. He returned and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Boy, is that a mild retort considering what was going on, right? I mean, can you imagine if it were you and you had some friends that you had asked to be on guard and they, instead they failed? You know, if you were in the army, you'd be court-martialed, right? This is court-martial material. Could you just not stay on guard for an hour for me? Just an hour? All right, look, look what he says. Uh, he asked Peter. He's asking Peter. Couldn't you, just, couldn't, couldn't you just keep watch for me with one hour and pray? And then he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. This next part of this verse should go on your refrigerator. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, you've heard people in the world use that all the time, right? It shows up in about one out of every 10 or 15 movies. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And people use that as an excuse to fall into sin. It's not an excuse to fall into sin. It's an excuse to fall into Jesus, all right? Because what it means is, you know what I told you to do. I told you to pray. I told you to be close to me. And you understood you knew in your spirit that you needed to do that, yet the body, the flesh, is so weak that the flesh can overcome the body if we're not in communion with God, if we're not within the vine. That's a powerful, powerful section of verses here as you see this paradigm of Peter falling as he falls, and you see Jesus warning him. Well, Jesus is great because you know what? Two times is not enough for Peter. He's going to deny Jesus three times, so what does Jesus do? He's going to come back a third time. A third time. Take a look at Luke 22, verse 46. And this is shortly before Judas will come out with a thousand of the temple soldiers and the Romans to arrest Jesus, right before G Judas is going to grab G Jesus and kiss him, so that the guards know specifically who Jesus is. By the way, that's one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible, where here's G Jesus by himself, standing by himself, and from what theologians tell us, that was somewhere between 800 and 1,000 soldiers, temple soldiers, coming up to arrest him. Can you imagine it? And, and then when the, when the uh, uh, chief priest says to, to, are you Jesus of Nazareth? Why? Because we've come to arrest you and ultimately kill you. And Jesus says, it is me. 
or it is I based on the King James. And it says in, that, in those translations that the soldiers were thrust back by the force of Jesus' word. Can you imagine that? It's like, yes, it's me. Whoa! 800 to 1,000 soldiers pushed back in the presence of God. And so here you see, here you see uh, Jesus warning him a third time. Luke 22, verse 46. We'll look at 45 to get continuity. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples the third time, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. That's the flesh. The flesh is weak. The flesh succumbs to grief, to despair, to persecution, to suffering, to sorrow. The flesh is weak. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Oh, Lord, even as you are about to expire in this world, you understand about the need for us to pray not to fall into temptation. You understand that. You see that. Turn now, please. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Verse, verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want the, the lesson on how to live as a Christian, on how to be in communion with God? There it is. Be joyful be within the vine. Pray continually. Pray continually. Now, obviously, this is not the kind of prayer that you're on a prayer rug locked up in your closet because you couldn't do that continually. And so what's implied here is that you have somehow incorporated your prayer life into your regular life. And so wherever you are, even in church, you should find yourself, as the sermon is being given, you should find yourself praying. As the music is going out, you should find yourself praying. You should find yourself, as you're sitting in the seat, before church starts, you should be praying. As you meet people in the church and you know their needs, you should find yourself praying continually. That's what God wants. It is that prayer life in the vine that will ultimately strengthen you to help you avoid temptation. And so there was a third step in Peter's fall. A third step. Luke tells us that when Jesus was arrested and was being led to the house of the high priest, Peter followed at a distance. He followed at a distance. Now, again, I'm not criticizing Peter. Not at all. What would we do? Well, we would probably be by the other ten guys who split. They just split. They were in hiding. But Peter followed at a distance. He saw Jesus, but he didn't want to be too close. I don't want to be up there real close with Jesus, because when you're real close to Jesus, then people start to identify you as being part with him. I want, I want some distance. I need some deniability, right? How many Christians are like that? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't, want, to get, I don't want to get too crazy. 
You know, because the next thing I'm in church all day long, I'm going to a couple of Bible studies, uh, and people are going to start calling me a flake. I'm going to lose my friends. Nobody in the golf club will play golf with me. This is going on, and my kids will call me a flake. They won't want to come down and visit me. No, that's what it is. Let me have some distance. Let me have some plausible deniability. Yes, I know who Jesus is. I just don't want to get too close. And this is what happens. This is what happens. What happens follows is wreckage. Jesus warned you. You were going to fall. Jesus warns you. Uh, now, one of the beautiful aspects of Jesus is that when you fall, he doesn't consign you to the garbage heap of life, which is what we would do. Right? If you had a friend, you had somebody you relied on that you were waiting for to support in a big moment, you would spend three years prepping them up. This was your guy. This was your woman. She was going to be there for you. Now you come onto center stage and boom, she fails you. He fails you. What would we do? I'm done with you. You're a loser. I don't want anything to do with you. But Jesus doesn't say that. And we're going to study how Jesus is going to say to Peter, you're going you're to feed my lambs. You're going to feed my sheep. I'm going to use you to be an example to the world of what it means to be a Christian and how Peter will be picked up from the ash heap of life and used in, a, in an incredible way and, and recommissioned for service. Now, one of the things that has surprised me as I studied this lesson and prepared for this is what I've discovered is that most likely Peter denied Jesus more than three times or certainly in more than three circumstances. And I just thought you would find this interesting. First, turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. There's number one. You were with him? I saw you. No, you don't know what you're talking about. I never saw him. I was never with him. I had no part of him. That's number one. Number two, Matthew 26 again. Look at verse 71. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Now it's getting worse. Now it's getting worse. Now we're ramping up sin, just like David. Now, it's not only that I deny Jesus, now I'm going to curse. I'm going to put an oath out, all right, to prove you don't know what you're talking about. You're lying, all right? Number three, look at Matthew 26 now, verse 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. He must have sounded like a guy from New Jersey. <laughs> Your accent gives you away. Don't lie to us. Which, pretty interesting that your accent from Galilee, which wasn't that far, you know, 25, 30 miles, would give you away, but it's probably, probably like being from Hudson County, New Jersey. You could be, you know, five miles away from everybody else. You talk like you, you have a different language. Your accent gives you away. Don't lie to us. Then he began to call down curses on himself. How do you like this? Getting better? 
Now I'm going to call down curses on myself. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. And he's giving blasphemy. He's calling curses. This is the guy that spent three years with Jesus? This verse gives me hope. This verse should give you hope. Here's a guy who walked with Jesus 24 hours a day for three years. Now, not only after he's been warned, you're going you're gonna to fall. Does he fall? But he falls in a spectacularly mighty way. He doesn't just deny Jesus. It gets worse. He calls down curses on himself. He calls down curses on himself. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word, words of Jesus. And that he will disown me. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He went outside and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the convicting power of God? You see, that's what separates these men. That's what separates David and Peter from the world. Yes, we're subject to failure. But when you are with God, when you are within the vine, yes, you're going to fall, but God will pick you up. Uh, just to give you another, another example, look at Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 59. About an hour later, another person asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he was an, a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. So before they were women, here there was another man that came out and, and spoke to him. And again, Peter said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and then uh, uh, there was a high priest, an assistant to the high priest. Turn to John chapter 18. Verse 26. Verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, there's another guy, a new one, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So what does it mean? It means that Peter obviously denied the Lord on multiple occasions. He did it with such gravity that he blasphemed God, called down curses on himself, uh, and depraved himself in a way, despite the fact that he had been warned by God, warned by God, that he would be subject to failure. And so what you see here is a lesson that God is giving us. He's giving us this lesson that, that even though, even though we follow Jesus, even though we're in church, even though we're going to Bible studies, that unless we stay continually in communion with the Father, that all of us at some time are subject to failure. All of us are subject to fall. And that is why we have to ask God to protect us, to lead us not into temptation, to put a hedge around us, to strengthen us, to continually bind us to each other, to pray for each other, to have a prayer life that's every bit a part of your daily walk. Wherever it is, you're in the car, you're walking, you're with friends, you're out of church, you're in church. I don't care where you are, God wants you to be in continual communion. And by doing that, he will sustain us. Amen?
Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this lesson. I thank you for these words, Lord. I thank you for Peter. I thank you for this mighty man, Lord, this example of what happens, that even those who will be used in a mighty way are subject to failure. And Lord, what strengthens our hearts because everyone here is subject to failure and we don't want to fail. But we know that while the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Lord, lift us up, strengthen us, help us to be in continual communion with you. Protect our people and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.